Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. So we're in our series, Good King, Bad King. And um, when we're looking at the king, so we're going over looking at the, um, the, 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 the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and really springing out of the, own, the coronation of our own king. thought we would have a look at that. And I hope you've been blessed by the series. Obviously, we're coming in uh, to land two more um, today and next week. And um, I'm going to read a very, very long passage of Scripture today. So I want to say that to you so you kind of get in the right headspace, okay? So it's not one of them ones where you're kind of thinking, okay, are we done yet? No, okay? (laughs) At whatever point you ask, no. And are we nearly done yet? No. It's so long. So it really is one of those, are you sitting comfortably moments? (laughs) And... um, the, the, the words will come up if you don't have uh, a Bible with you. Um, and I'm going to try to preach for a little bit shorter. I'm going to say some controversial things today. Not because I want to, because I think it's, it's important to, given the story, and want to make some space for questions, for Q&A, in order to just help clarify what I am saying, what I'm not saying, and that, that side of things. So definitely, definitely don't um, pursue or, or want controversy. But I just think some of the things I say will have that effect. So... We need to um, just be, be ready for that. Okay, 2 Kings, chapter 22. Josiah, the reforming king. 2 Kings 22. And we're going to read through to chapter 23, verse 25. Okay. Are you sitting comfortably, except for Wes? Yes. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Boscath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law In the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who were of the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahakan the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire the, of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that's been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that's written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahakam and Akbor and Shaphan and Isaiah went to Holder the prophetess the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. 
Now she lived in the Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they talked with her. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I shall bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven, he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the host of the heavens. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the grave of the common people and he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba and he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua the governor of the city which were on one's left at the gate of the city however the priests of the higher places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars of the Ruth of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the higher places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, that altar with the high place he pulled down and burned. 
reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed, who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It's the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel, or of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that he the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. And Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that your word would do what it does and get right to the heart of matters this morning, we pray, for Jesus' glory and for our good. Amen. So, a couple of introductory comments before we get into the meat of it. The first is this, is that this was all accomplished by a very young man. So we read here that he ascended the throne when he was eight. And all of this happened in the 18th year of his reign. So, talking mid-twenties. And really just to make the point that um, being young is a good time to build right foundations. And any of you here that are under 30, I would say just recognize the season of life that you are in. It's a foundational building time of life. And um, it's easier to change when you're younger. Okay? It's easier to change when you're younger. The older you get, the more you kind of get set in your ways, the more you can make room for stuff that's not great. Okay, I'm not saying that God can't work in our lives when we're older. I'm just saying there's something that is unique about the younger age. Uh, it's, a, it's an age of foundations being formed. And this king did these extraordinary things. Um, and actually, he died young as well. The point being, you don't need long. Okay, Died in his 30s, late 30s. Don't need long to make an impact for eternity and for the glory of God. So that's the first introductory point. The second thing just to note is that it's interesting that in this account here, it started with money that it was about. Remember one of the kings we looked at, we talked about this tax kind of thing that was introduced where, you, where particularly money was given. It was different from the tithes. It was given and it was particularly for the upkeep of the house of the Lord, which needed constant repairing and, and restoration. And we looked and we at how there's a parallel, the, 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 the church, Jew and Gentile together are being built into a temple, the house of God, we're told in the New Testament. And really just this, this whole kind of um, awareness that the house of God needs constant repair and restoration. The church needs constant repair and restoration, either, either as a result of van- spiritual vandalism or neglect 
or other things constantly. And just to say this, that money stewarded well releases ministry. Okay? Money that is steward, given to the church and stewarded well releases ministry, releases people to serve with gifts. And ministry, when it's operating properly, equips the church to do the stuff. Okay, So ministry, when it's operating well, doesn't just do stuff and then the rest of the church just watches. It equips the church to do stuff. Okay, So money is released, releases the time for apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, other ministries like this. Releases them that they might have an impact with the grace God's given them to equip the church. So you end up with a body of Christ that's mobilized and that is operating and using the gifts they've got. You see what, you see what I'm saying there? And so really it's so important that we understand that when we say we're giving to the church, we're looking to release ministry. Why? Because we want, we want to see the body of Christ equipped. So we can do the stuff. Amen? So it's important that we understand that. That's really what it's all about when we talk about um, raising funds and, and the rest of it. But I'm really, really wanting you to, you would have noticed, unless you'd been totally zoned out the whole time I was reading, you would have noticed this is a very destructive passage. Did you pick that up? This is highly destructive. And I want us to think about that today. Because actually, this is a work of restoration, but it's highly destructive. Really interesting. So it's actually a wonderful, a wonderful thing is going on in the nation. It's a revival. It's a reformation. It's a restoration. This is a high moment in the nation of Israel, but it's marked by destruction. And it's so important that we understand that. And that we see that because the point is, you see, that a lot of ungodly clutter have been allowed to build up. That's the point. A lot of clutter due to either neglect. It's fascinating that they took Passover at the end of it all. And it says they hadn't taken Passover since the days of the judges. That means the whole of the reigns of the kings, they'd never taken Passover as a nation. So they've been completely neglectful of what God had said in his word. Now, I don't know how they let themselves get away with that. I don't know how they reasoned in their heart that that was fine. I don't know. But, but nevertheless, it's there in black and white. And they say, no, we just don't do that. We just decided it's not relevant. We've decided it doesn't matter. So we don't do it. In fact, they got so neglectful that they stumble upon the scripture. They literally stumble upon it. It's not like... It's not even like, I don't know, people are reading it. It's like it's been hidden away. The, the, the inference seems to be that somehow, when they took the money out of the chest, that the book was underneath it, or something like that. And they clock what it is. It's the law of God. And Josiah reads it, and you can see that he understands what it is. And he reads, and he's probably reading Deuteronomy 28. And in Deuteronomy 28, you've got a huge, you've got a huge list of blessings and curses. And it's one of the most troubling passages of Scripture you will ever read. Because the, the passage on curses is about twice as long, if not more, than the passage on blessings. And it explains in very graphic detail what will become of them if they disobey God, whom they've entered into covenant with. And you can imagine the panic as they read it. I won't do another very, very long Bible reading from Deuteronomy 28. I'll look up and your Lord have ran in fear and trembling. I mean, it is terrifying. It is terrifying. And so he's probably reading that because he refers to these curses that are written in here. And he goes, well, what, what are we going to... We are in trouble. 
is the conclusion. Something's got to give here because all of these things that we shouldn't be doing, we are doing, and these things we should be doing, we're not doing. And it's written down in black and white, and this is the law of the Lord. Now today's message is really, there's no way you can preach on this passage without the sermon, I think, being about a lesson on how to deal ruthlessly with sin in your life and in the church. Whether it's the sins of omission, the things you don't do when God says do. (laughs) Or whether it's sins of commission, things you do do when God has said clearly, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't know. I mean, I think I could. I, I, I was left thinking, what can this sermon be about? It can't really be about one thing. And so I'm going to have to just take us through this and talk through this whole thing here today. We are saved by grace. We've been celebrating that this morning, haven't we? But it's not cheap grace. It's costly grace. It costs God everything. And so what we get, we get, we receive as a gift, forgiveness and new life, we receive as a gift, but it costs everything. And so it's not cheap grace, but it's grace. But it's not a grace that you kind of, you sort of take with a kind of a, a light heart. You take frivolously, you just, yeah, yeah, fine, I'll have a bit of that, sounds good, I'll have some of that. That's not what it is. In, face, in fact, the Bible says that we, you, the way that faith in Christ, manifest is, is through repentance. It's a U-turn. It's where you go, I was facing that way. I'm looking to you, Jesus, now. And I've not got eyes in different directions. We're just looking at you, not to the left, not to the right. We're looking at you. It's radical. It's radical how we enter into this newness of life. So it's a lesson we've had to deal ruthlessly with sin in your life. But I would say this to you also. If you are someone of influence... Then when you deal ruthlessly with sin in your life, guess what? It has a huge impact on those around you. People watch, they notice. There's, it has an aroma about it, holiness. It, it, it is massively influential. So whether, you know, just to be aware of that as well. These things aren't our own private little things. It spills out into everything. There, there, so there was a load of what I would describe as spurious spirituality that had got involved in the nation of Israel. There was star worship, astrology, constellations, worshipping the sun, the moon, and all of that. They'd really gotten into that, clearly, by the passage. There was child sacrifice. Horror of horrors. There was child sacrifice. The enemy hates children. Jesus loves children. The enemy hates children. So important. It's always a good to check your attitude towards children in your heart. The Lord loves children. Values children. Enemy hates children. Because he can see the potential. He knows what you know, a life lived in the image of God to the glory of God, what that could do. Snuff it out quick. Get rid of it quick. So some of these false gods, it weren't real gods, but there were demonic powers behind them for sure. Instigating, influencing the sacrifice of children. There were mediums and necromancers, which is essentially to do with contacting the dead. Communicating with, 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 with departed spirits and trying to get messages and, and all of that going on. The kind of things you see people doing in spiritualist churches. That was going on in the nation. And loads of idols and statues. Just loads of man-made gods. Gods of the hills, gods of the plains. God of gold, God of this, God of that. Okay? This, this is really at what had 
um, become of it. And I want to speak into various dodgy spiritualities that we find ourselves faced with in our time. And I want to do that for a very specific reason, because any spiritual activity that rests, on, rests its kind of foundation on a different God or promotes and promises access to God but not through Jesus, we see as a problem. Okay? We see that as a problem. I just want to say that explicitly, be very black and white today, hopefully gracious, but just very, very straightforward so you know what I am saying and what I'm not saying. Any spiritual activity that rests itself on upon a foundation of a different God or promises or promotes access to the living God, but not through Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, Jesus who came in the flesh, is forbidden. Now, why? Here's why. Simply put, because God is real. That's why. If our Christianity is essentially a psychological crutch, it's just something that brings a sense of comfort, makes us feel better in hard times. But really, at its heart, when you get to it, that's what it is. I've got some scriptures about, you know, it's about the Lord being my shepherd, and it makes me feel better, and I love that in hard times. And, you know, it says things like, he's never going to leave me, that makes me feel... It's at its heart, it's not about an objective reality. It's not about, it's not, a, it's not the ultimate reality. It's really just, no, it makes me feel better. If that's what it is at its heart, then actually do what you like spiritually. As long as it does what? Makes you feel better. Do what you want. So if that's what it is, then we've got no place saying you shouldn't do that. No, if it makes you feel better, carry on. Because this is just the same as my thing. Makes me feel better. But that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that God has revealed himself in order that he might be appropriately honoured. And that matters. So, so the God of all creation has revealed himself through his creation, more specifically through the scriptures and ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. This is who he is. It's a self-disclosure. It's not who I wanted him to be or the one I've designed him in a certain way. It's a self-disclosure that has come from revelation. And so in that sense, you're dealing with ultimate realities. You're dealing with transcendent realities. You're dealing with things that are beyond what you can see with the eye. The Bible says that which is seen is temporary. That which is unseen is eternal. You're dealing with realities that existed before any of the creation that we see with our eyes existed. It's totally beyond. And so because of that, it changes everything. And so it becomes about spiritual integrity. If we are dealing with transcendent realities, then guess what? We've got to act like it. (laughs) If that's what you're dealing with, then you really need to act like it. Why would we go on the streets and tell others about the gospel if at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter? Why would we be praying for our family and our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues who don't know Jesus yet, when at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter? Well, it's because it does really matter, because we believe it's true. We believe this thing, this message is true. Jesus is Lord. Or he isn't. 
but make your mind up. There's an incredible moment where Elijah the prophet is standing before the people of Israel. And he says to them, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. How long will you go on limping? It's very, very graphic, very vivid. Limping. How long? Which is it? It brings it to a place of powerful clarity. Just been reading some passages from uh, Jeremiah, or particularly in Jeremiah 2. Listen to this. This is so impacting. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. What a way for God to describe himself. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So they've forsaken me, the, the, the one that full, fullness of life comes from, who promises to provide fullness of life in the spirit for you forever by his own overflowing fullness. Forsaken that, and they've tried to find their own way to that sort of spiritual fulfillment, and it holds no water. What a statement for God to make. In the story, we learn a few things. We, we learn that huge amounts of clutter can build up incrementally and intergenerationally. All these different kings, oh, and they, they hung up these things for Asherah. Oh, yeah, and this one built that thing. All these different kings that have built different idolatrous things, very incrementally, but more than that, intergenerationally, huge amounts of clutter can build up. And it involves demolishing, uprooting, burning. I mean, it's, like I say, it's very, very destructive. But there's a very strong lesson here, and it's this. If we're going to build well, we've got to clear the ground. See, I used to work on building sites for some part, some part of my life. The first thing you do is you clear the ground. Then you begin to dig, then you lay a foundation, and then you build. You've got to clear the ground. And that's exactly what is going on here in order to lay a good foundation. Now for the controversial bit. What are the typical manifestations of spurious spiritual activity in our time? I'm going to name a few for you. Superstition. If any of you are into superstitions, any of you avoid walking on three things in a row or avoid walking under ladders and that, that is spurious spirituality. It's built on fear. Okay, it's built on fear. It, it, it's ungodly. It's unrighteous. It will trap you. You don't need to live under that. And today, if you know in your family history there's loads of superstition and you, you, you're in that and you kind of yield to it a bit, I want to call you today to smash it and burn it. Okay? Because that's not the liberty that God has bought for you. Your future is not defined by whether you walk under a ladder or not. Hallelujah. I deliberately walk under ladders to make the point. Okay? But this is real. I saw someone the other day. I thought, why did she suddenly walk to the side? Oh, three of those. Three manhole covers. It's madness, isn't it? That's what, I mean, if you're not from England, that might not be one of yours. It might be one of our own special ones we made up. <laughs> but it's all built on fear, and it traps and it governs your behaviour. Yeah? Not good at all. Here's a new one. The universe. This one's developed in the last couple of years now, where it's, oh, you know, thank the universe. Right. And it's sort of tied up with fate and karma and all of that. 
It's that whole idea that, that we don't, you know, there's a, there's a sense of something transcendent, but not a desire to honour God, which is human sinfulness and rebellion. Don't want to honour him. But there's a sense of something transcendent, so we'll call it the universe and give it some sort of personality. And what goes around comes around in that whole thing. That is spurious, uh, ungodly uh, spirituality. You are not honouring the creator. It's a bit like, um, it's, a, it's a bit, you know, so I wrote a book recently. My name's on it, for better or for worse. <laughs> My name's on it, Okay. You, there's no, if you come in and say, yeah, no, it's the same book, but I, I'm just saying that it's by Harold Smith. And I go, well, look, it might save me some flack if it's by Harold Smith, but that's my, I wrote that book. That's my name on it. And so when it comes to spirituality and things like you can't say, oh, yeah, well, it's probably the same as you, but I just call it the universe. No, God has told us who he is. He is Yahweh. He is, I am who I am. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, that's who he is. So we can't, yeah, well, I call him that. No, that's no good. That's not honoring. That's you're designing the thing yourself. It's not, design, it's not self-design. It's revelation. It's self-disclosure. So we need to avoid all of that sort of thing. Reading your stars. Reading your stars. Your life, your future is not in the constellations. It's not determined by those things. Okay, Getting into that. It's that stuff that we get. No, we deal ruthlessly with, yeah, with that. Here we go. Yoga and other divine consciousness activities. Yoga is not. You can't do yoga without the spiritual bit. Yoga is at its heart a spiritual activity. At its heart. You tell someone who knows yoga that you're doing yoga without the spiritual bits, they'll laugh at you. It is a spiritual activity. The whole purpose of yoga is to, is to, is to achieve uh, oneness with the divine consciousness. What's the divine consciousness? Well, the whole idea behind that is that we all, we all are part of the divine consciousness. The Bible teaches we are made in the image of God, but there's only one who's divine. So we have to be ruthless with these things. Otherwise, you end up just mixing stuff together and it builds, it builds. And but what happens is, is that it doesn't honor the Lord. And therefore, the, the, um, the genuine spiritual power of following the Lord drains. Drains. And you find yourself in something weak and beggarly and powerless. And you wonder why. And it's because God is saying, I will not be joined with that. God is a jealous God. Jealous for his glory, jealous for his fame. And it's not selfish. It's as if I said, I'm really jealous for my glory. You think, man, what's wrong with you? Well, yeah, totally. And rightly so, you should say that. It's different with him. He, everything that works for his glory works for our good. And whenever he's moved from the center into some other thing, some other side thing, things begin to unravel on a human level. It's all, it's all designed with the creator at the center. Hypnosis and other spiritual healing techniques, meditations where you empty your mind. You're opening yourself up to all kinds of spiritual things coming in. Meditation, biblically and Christianly, is not about emptying your mind. It's about filling your mind with the Word of God. It's a completely different thing. We even have to watch out for things like mindfulness. Now, I told you I'm going to go controversial today. I know. So, mindfulness... I'm not, talk, I'm not saying it's wrong to be in the moment. Okay? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Okay? But we need to exercise massive discernment in these days 
Why? Because all kinds of different spiritualities are finding their way into the NHS and being described. You need to take time to say, what is this about? What is it about? And it could be that there's just some, some bits that you go, oh, yeah, no, that just sounds like common sense or biblical wisdom. Fine. But sometimes when you buy wholesale into something, without looking at what the wholesale thing is, you can find yourself getting joined to things. There needs to be a thoroughness. I see a glorious thoroughness in this, um, in this story here. So stuff. If you've got stuff in your life from an unhealthy relationship, Stuff that, from a, stuff that you hold on to, but it's from an unhealthy relationship. That can have a bizarre spiritual power over people. It can kind of keep you locked up in, a, in, in, into, in, in the dynamics associated with that. It can keep you somewhere where you shouldn't be. Keep you from just, the Bible says, don't just throw off sin, throw off what? Every weight. Anything that's going to get in the way of you. What does Paul say? I forget what's behind and I press on to what's ahead. If you've got things in your life that are from the past, but it's from unhealthy associations and stuff, that can act as a spiritual weight. You think, why is it? Why am I? It's like a, it's like a bind around your, around your ankle. Atheistic intellectualism. That is the worship of the human brain. It's a spiritual thing. Humanism, which is different from atheism. Atheism is a, a strong argument against the reality of God. Humanism just doesn't care. Well, he could be real or he might not be real, but it doesn't make any difference. It's all about, it's all about us. <laughs> Deism. Deism is, the, um, is essentially the, the, the school of thought whereby God isn't going to act or move or intervene. He's created everything, but now he's not really going to do anything. That's, that's, that's not so much a spurious spiritual activity, but it's just it's so dishonoring to God. There's no point praying. Faith in what? Faith in what? God's not going to, God, God doesn't act anymore. All of these different things can get into our lives and it can build in bit by bit, incrementally, and you can go, I'm stuck in sludge. I'm stuck in sludge spiritually. I'm not running anymore. I'm just about walking. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm being influenced by all kinds of worldviews that are directly in contradiction to the biblical worldview. I'm, being, I, I, I'm starting to find that there's fears creeping in and governing my life. I'm starting to find that there's not the liberty there that Jesus promises. doesn't feel like life to the full anymore. Not enjoying a sense of a clear conscience, walking in sins forgiven. All that stuff seems strangely absent. Why is it? I want to encourage us not to navel gaze today, but to allow the Holy Spirit to say, what about this? In order that you can go, yes, Lord, I've sort of bought into that, bought into it, materialism. There's so many things we can worship, so many things. It's just the heart, it's always about the heart. I've told you my funny thing also about, about bags, I love bags, right? I love bags, right? quite unusual for guys, normally lots of ladies like bags, I like bags, I love bags with pockets. And, uh, and I don't think God minds, I don't think he minds that, but there have been times where I felt, I, felt the, I felt God closing in on me about it. So that's bizarre, isn't it? Right? Why? Because it's in a bag. I want that bag too much. But I want that bag. Have you got a bag? Yeah, but I really want that bag. It's got more pockets. <laughs> what can I do with those pockets? Right? And it's, it's a silly thing, right? But it's not about the bags, is it? It's never about the bags. What's it always about? It's always about the heart. 
It's, always, it's not about the pockets. No. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Always. And so God sometimes will corner you on something, and you're going, Lord, this is irrelevant. And he's saying, well, yeah, on the grounds of it. I know it is, but we know what's going on here, don't we? And you're going, yeah. Yeah. I want that too much. I've lost my peace because I want that so much. I'm distracted with that. You see what I'm saying? This, this, and when, when, when that happens, that's the mercy of God. And sometimes it's not wrong things at all. It's not wrong beliefs. It's not wrong schools of thought. But it's just your heart. And God's saying, we got, we got to... Now, I just want to... What I want to say today, then we'll do some Q&A. I've only got three minutes. Sorry, my bad. Is uh, let's, let's clean house when the Holy Spirit convicts. Don't, we haven't got to go looking for stuff. But if you know the Holy Spirit is going, what's that there for? You might go, well, it's always... You know, my mum handed it down from my grandma and that. Yeah, my go, yeah, but why is it there? <laughs> it's intergenerational, but it's clutter. What is that? What is that about? Dream catchers, all that stuff. Very popular now. What's that about? What's that about? To just be radical. Be radical, and clear stuff out that you know this doesn't align. This either doesn't align with what God has said in his word in black and white. He said, do this and don't do this. Or there's just, you just know there's just so much neglect in your life. It's just neglect. You just think, ah, it'll be all right. Well, it won't be all right if God has said it won't be all right. If God has said do it and you're not doing it, it's not okay. That's not okay. <laughs> I don't have to say that. You think, well, why? Sometimes people, why is God so strict? It's not about strictness. Here's what it is. It's that God knows us. He knows us properly. He knows us inside out. And his desires for us are the best for us. Do you believe that? His desires are the best for us, right? But there's stuff in our heart that's, oh, I don't believe that. I don't trust him. What if? What if? And all we get into all that. And then we look elsewhere. No, trust him and believe him and watch what he does. And for, you know, hard things. Forgive. Forgive. Yeah, 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 no, but do it. Watch, watch what he does. Watch what he does. Look upon that person with a good eye, not a bad eye. Yeah, but no, 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 do it and watch what he does. Watch what he does. Give, yeah, but no, 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 don't, don't give. Watch what he does. Don't constrain his arm by your unbelief. Don't, do, don't hold him back by your, oh, I didn't do it, so he didn't. No, no, do what he says and watch what he does. But it might not work out as you thought. Well, it probably won't work out as you thought. No, I can pretty much guarantee it won't work out as you thought. I can pretty much guarantee it. And there will be painful bits on the way and, and confusing bits and questions. And yeah, why? But yeah, yeah, welcome to Christianity. Yeah? But I tell you, if you remain resolute in your honouring of God, you will look back over the decades of your life and you will say he's faithful. You will say he is faithful. Amen. Crash landing of a sermon there, sorry. Um, but any, any, any burning questions? Have I really ruffled anyone's feathers and they really want to say? Good question, David. How can you be div- That's a good question. How can you be divorced? More superstition. I think it's when you recognize, when you recognize in your life the governance of fears that, are, that undermine what God says. When you see it, then there's a responsibility to say, I'm not going to live under that anymore. But there will always, for all of us, be loads of things that are going on in our hearts and minds that we don't see. 
Of course, we're, we're, it's an incremental process becoming more like Jesus. But as the Holy Spirit makes us aware, we say, Lord, I'm going to respond to you in that way. Anyone else? Yes, T. Okay. Yes, very good. What's the difference between karma and what you sow and what you reap? Well, I think the main idea is this, is that with sowing and reaping, the whole, the whole dynamic of that is, is that you are doing something out of, from a place of faith in a living God who will, who will, according to his wisdom, cause you to reap what you have sown. You won't always reap where you've sown or when you've sown, but he will oversee the way that we live and in his wisdom, we'll, we'll make sure that things are put right. Okay? So there's that. First, that's a spiritual principle there. Okay? But it's not slot machine. Oh, yeah, great. It's not that. Okay? It's a personal living God. Then there are consequences for our actions, built, almost built into the laws of the universe. You know, there are things which are mostly true, but not always true. Yeah? So very often you find, you know, so if you treat people badly, they, they'll treat you badly. Yeah, okay. But it doesn't work for everyone. Some people, it says in the psalmist, they go to their grave fat and happy. Yeah, that's what the psalmist says. And they spend their whole life treading over other people. So it's not, the thing is, when it, when it becomes impersonal, it becomes this thing of, you know, there's this, there's this kind of either an impersonal force that's just making, making the karma happen. Um, no, that, we, we don't believe in that. What we do believe is that God has created a universe and there are certain principles built into that, which would be wise to acknowledge. And that as we walk with him and we sow, there will be a, a reaping appropriate to that, whether in this life or the life to come. Um, but it's under the governance of a personal God. And I think karma isn't that. Karma comes out more of a kind of a what goes around. It's what goes around. What goes around comes around. And the reason why it's so compelling is because obviously there is some truth to that. But it's very different from when you are um, engaging in, a, in obeying a personal God who has made you promises. That's a very, very different sort of dynamic. Second question. Um, so low intensity um, fitness, I yeah. think people like yoga because of that. Yes. So is Pilates a good alternative? What's a good alternative? Pilates is a brilliant alternative to yoga. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Pilates is a brilliant alternative because it's what is it's not transporting us. It's not. It's, yeah, yeah. It's not transporting a spiritual worldview and spiritual, spiritual, um, spiritual activities in terms of what you're doing with your body for spiritual goals. It's a completely different thing. It's, 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 it's physical, which we know has a good impact on our mental health and all of that. And that's all great, holistic beings. But it's not explicitly spiritual in an anti-Christian way, which yoga is. So, you don't know how to compare that, especially when you're dealing with sure. Jewish background. Sure. Restitution is repayment, which is a biblical concept, um, which, is that, which is that we will be repaid for the deeds done in the body. That's part of what's going to happen at the end, isn't it? So, um, so yeah, if, if you've got kids, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the activity, the flow activity at the front here. It's a good time to go and get them. I know I've stirred up some stuff today. I, just, I didn't know how to preach any differently after this passage. I just thought, 
I could swerve it and just talk, say nice things about restoration. But this passage is full of destruction. Am I right? And I think, well, let's just try and be faithful to it. If you're going to build well, you've got to, get, you've got to get the rubbish out. Yeah? So why don't, we just, why don't we just have a moment? Okay? You, you, weigh, you weigh what I've said. I'm not the authority. The Scripture's the authority. Okay, you do research. You look into these things that I've mentioned as spurious. If I'm wrong, I'll take it back. Okay, it's the scripture that's the authority. So we mustn't get into that thing of, oh, the preacher said, I have said it and I'm accountable for saying it. But look into If one of these things touches your buttons, do, do the research, do the work. It's all available. It's all there online, very easy to access. And if you can see, oh, yeah, that actually undermines, contradicts what God says then I just urge you, I urge you to be radical. If you don't know the Lord, you're among us today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus personally, you're probably thinking, what the heck is this? What's going on here? I tell you this is radical. It's what it is. It's revolutionary. Jesus comes as the cornerstone, which is the foundation of the foundation, if you like. So you, can't, you, you don't build Jesus on top of everything. You clear everything out of the way and you lay Jesus. And then you build everything on top of him. And you find that life works. I'm not saying life becomes easy, but you find there's order because the creator is at the center. And I want to urge you, give, your, give yourself to Jesus. He is faithful and true. He will come to you by his spirit, cause you to be born again. He will know that you're not the same.